And away we go, or however you want to put it. But what a day today. What an, an absolute horrible, horrible day if you're a U.S. soccer fan. That's how I'm going to start the show. I have no other way of doing it. This is going to get ugly today. You might want to listen in because I have been a champion of this coach. I have asked our fan base to maintain and to keep their composure. If you are blowing off some steam today, if you are absolutely going nuts, you have every right to. The U.S. national team fails to beat Panama, and I'll get into that uh, today. Welcome to my show. This is Eric Winaldo. This is For the Win. I'm coming to you from Blue Wire Studios here in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is a gorgeous place to be today. Again, the weather cooperating. In the 70s, as you can see, I'm wearing a sweater. It's very nice to wear sweaters. And people don't realize this about Las Vegas. Yeah, 190 days out of the year, the temperature is less than 75, which is, which is what people would not think. But believe it or not, we get more cold weather than we do warm weather, if that makes any sense to you. But to wherever you are in the world, I thank you for joining me for today's show. However you find your podcast, whether it be on Spotify and or Apple Podcasts, I'm happy to have you along for the ride. I don't know if I'm happy. Happy is the wrong word. Because today, you look at you look at everything that we had covered up to this point when it comes to the U.S. national team and the way that they had addressed their World Cup qualification process. There are a couple of glaring stats now which really define the reasoning behind most of the fan base being unhappy with Greg Berhalter. And I can't argue with these stats. One of them being that we have failed to score in the first half in our last eight outings. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Now, you can, you can say that, okay, this is qualification. This was also you know, going back clearly into the, uh, the Gold Cup effort. This is a, a coach that's a little pensive at times very methodical in his way of thinking. This is a team that's played conservatively for the majority of, of those last eight outings. We've had some chances. It's not like we failed to create the opportunities to win the game in the majority of those matches. But yesterday, yesterday we failed to have a shot on goal. Now, you can't explain your way out of that at that point. Now, what I'm going to do today, and, and this is something that uh, I have been essentially challenged by the Twitterverse and a lot of people around me have said, well, you always talk about stuff. You talk about the way we should play, systems of play, three-back system versus four-back system, personnel. What are our tactics? What are our countermeasures? Uh, how do we figure out how to win these games? And as a coach, because I, I can say that, I've not only been an analyst, but I've also coached at the professional level. I've coached with the national team many years ago, but I understand how the United States prepares now and how they used to prepare. And I think I've got some reasons why, outside the fact of us not un, completely unable to figure out how to figure out the first part of the game, because you can get the first half wrong and get the second half right. You can make adjustments, but when you get both halves wrong, there's just no going back. And this was horrible. I mean, I don't know. I'm in Vegas, right? So when I was younger and I would come to Vegas, I didn't live here. I would have some of those nights where, you know, I, I was just stupid. Maybe I, I drank too much. Maybe I was trying to show off. And, I, and, and, and I'd lose a couple thousand dollars gambling like a dummy. But when you wake up the next day and you open your eyes to the world and then you just have that memory of, oh, yeah, oh, why did I do that? 
that's what today felt like. I didn't gamble, but I, I, I watched on my national team just stumble all over themselves. This is my nightmare. And I really think, I really think that this is the first time that you have to ask real questions about why. Why is always a great question. It really is. If you have a player that plays for you and something's going on, right? And I've, I've done this before. I'll bring a guy into my office and say, last couple of practices, not good. What's going on? And he'll tell me, right? And I'll say, why? He might say, well, I, I didn't get enough sleep. And I say, okay, why? Now he has to answer that one. He says, well, I, I stayed up too late because of this, that, and this. Why? Well, my girlfriend, she was calling me. She wouldn't leave me alone. And, you know, she's angry about this and that and the other. Okay, why? And eventually, if you ask why five, six, seven times, you'll get to the bottom of that problem. You really will. And as a manager, when you look at what's happening with this team and with our manager and the fact that we can't get things right to save our life from the start, is pointing to one thing. More so than anything else. It is a manager who has completely and entirely overthought this. And they had a process, which is very clear in all my conversations with, with, an, with the Federation and or people surrounding it, whether that be Greg or even his staff, anybody. They will allude to the idea that the United States national team, because of the complexity of that job and all the moving parts of players and relationships and agents, and coaches, and presidents, and other clubs, and travel, and everything. That it demands a plan. And they have planned this out. And it, to be honest, if, if you want to get hired as a national team coach, or, and or a professional coach anywhere, you better have a plan. And it's gotta, it doesn't have to be foolproof, but it, it should, should have you know, a fluid nature to it that you can make adjustments or, or but but this is the way we're going to do things i think the biggest problem we have right now is our national team coach is way too rigid in that plan circumstances change saying to yourself well here's our three games and here's how we're going to play in those three games el salvador beat them okay they, they beat them so they're going to come out like wild dogs you understand that right they're going to be they are going to be foaming at the mouth coming at us it's going to be a completely different game than what you may have planned. Which means, alter the goddamn plan. Understand the game that you're about to be in. And just because you said before the first game that this is the way we've planned this out and these are the guys that are going to play, you might need to change the way you think. You might need to change... Because of the matchups, because of the reality of this game, you're going to need to understand on a higher level which guys are ready because things can change in 48 hours. I did not understand why you would take Pepe out, who's sitting on a hat trick to take him out. In the, unless there's something going on, which I don't know. Weston McKinney never even made the trip. But if you're going to take him out in the 70th minute and he's sitting on a hat trick and then not play him until the end of the game, that is all on you. I tweeted it out. I didn't do much. I, I, I had a kind of day yesterday where, you know, when you get on Twitter and, and you, you see something, you want to respond. So then you do this long, elaborate response, and then you're right about to press send, and then you have second thoughts. 
I must have done that four times yesterday. Because the lineup that everyone's asking me about this, they say, well, what would your lineup be? What would your system be? All this stuff. As a coach, Eric, what do you think? I looked at that lineup, and I said to myself, there's no way that that group gets it right. It's just not happening. It's not possible to actually play well with that group, in my opinion. Now, am I on the inside? No. Do I know who's hurting? Do I know who has some issues? I don't. But from an outsider's perspective, that thing was screaming. Stick to the plan. The plan will work. If you're a gladiator and you walk into an arena and you drop your sword and now you can't find it, stop looking for your sword. Come up with a different solution that's going to keep you alive. We didn't have a plan B. We just didn't. We didn't. The plan B actually became B, C, D, E, and F, but none of them were going to work. And it's almost like, and all the things, everything that the world was critical of, especially in the Hispanic community, especially the the Mexican commentators, they were relentless when we failed to qualify last time. And the number one word they used was arrogance. But when arrogance meets confusion, you got a big problem. By my count, I I think I've got 46 players, maybe 47 players, that could play for the U.S. national team in a qualifier. That's too many. It's actually a bad problem to have because we're not Brazil. And what we're failing to do is to lock in on the players who know each other. When you change the team this many times and you have relationships, and I've said this before on previous podcasts, that you have to have players who have an understanding of how to play together. When you don't have that, bad stuff happens. Confusion happens. Yeah, but I thought you were going to go there. No, we don't have time for that right now. We just don't. Greg got it wrong from the start, could not fix it, and there really aren't a lot of positives to take out of this. I had mentioned that you know the one team that we didn't want to play that was hanging on to hope was Panama. Because if we were sitting here this morning with 11 points and Panama sitting on five points, this thing is over. But in the crucial moment, in the most crucial moment thus far, we did not put a team on the field with the intention of winning. We put a a team on the field with the intention of getting a result. God, I hate that. I hate that. It's not because I I said we were going to get nine points out of these three games and we lost. That's not it. I don't really care about my predictions. I've had my difficulties prognosticating things in the CONCACAF for years because it's, it's all over the place. It was like the last five minutes of the game, people running on the field, people throwing balls on the field. Man, they were, they were going to get out of there with their, with their result, with, with their win. But it's, it's hard to really get it right all the time when it comes to, I'm not saying making a wager, but to, if you're betting on these games, man, just don't ever bet on CONCACAF games. It, no one can figure it out. They're all over the place. But I'll go back to the plan. Our lineup was wrong, we stuck to our plan, and we didn't have the ability to alter it. Now, I understand, you know, that PowerPoint presentation's very good. I've seen it. PowerPoint, PowerPoint, PowerPoint. I've seen it. But when your game model does not really reflect the way you play, when you say, this is how I'm going to play, and then you, you, you only, you know, get a handful of shots off, and you don't get any of them on goal, and you walk away with a loss, 
you got some serious questions that you got to answer. And, and look, I would say this to Ernie Stewart and, and, and Brian McBride. I am sure that they sent an email, a text, or made a call to Greg to let him know that they backed him. They're backing him. You're our coach. Yeah, bad result. Let's move on. That's what you do. That's what you say. But this might be the first time that Ernie Stewart and or Brian McBride hung up that phone and started making a list of other people that they might need to step in at this point. And that this, this will open a whole new can of worms for all of us out there who are saying, well, who is the right guy? Who is going to lead this team either to the World Cup and or help us compete once we get there? And that narrative of this is the most talented group of players that we've ever had and our coach can't figure it out. Yesterday, that scene played out and it was for all to see. El Salvador is making things difficult. Still hanging in there with five. Costa Rica is our next opponent. They have six. We have eight. If we, let's say we lose to Costa Rica, we are now out of the World Cup qualification process again, which puts so much pressure on everybody as we make our way to Columbus to play against Costa Rica, which is a team that is now one win, finally figured that part out, three draws and a, and a loss. We take our first loss, so we're 2-2-1, two, two, and one, but this thing can flip on its head in a second. Panama is tied with us with points. Man, if they would have figured out how to get a result in San Salvador, they'd be ahead of us right now. So CONCACAF is doing exactly, well, the qualification process is doing exactly what you, know, you don't want it to do. That's to let Costa Rica, Canada, and Panama have hope. Let them battle for that last spot. But now everybody's in it. They're, they're in the thick of this thing. Costa Rica comes here. And if some of you might remember the, 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 the snowball game. I think Dempsey got the goal. It was off the post or something. It was, it was that crazy game where we had to see pictures of Jermaine Jones with, with uh, you know, basically having a pile of snow on his head. You remember how lucky we got to win that game? Luck factors into this. But until we start understanding the consistency component of qualification, we are going to continue to struggle. Now, all right. One of the things that uh, people have also uh, been very critical of me, which is fine. I don't have a whole lot of time uh, when I'm uh, analyzing games for a network. And I've, I've said before, I love the Telestrator. But let me just go into, I'm going to try and explain this the best I can. And my frustrations as a coach when it comes to how we got scored on yesterday. Because if you saw it, it was, a, it was an end-swinging corner kick uh, at, at pace. And it ends up in the back of our net, whether it's his artist goal or, or, or however, however you want to categorize it. It doesn't matter if it's an own goal or not. Here's my problem. Now, stay with me. If, if you are a coach, if, you are, I was, I, if you're a coach, I strongly suggest you do this. But the reality of how we got scored on with all of the resources that we have, and the ability to analyze and select and to really look at standard situations, which is something that I, I as a coach, I, I, I spend a lot of time on this. With my team, the Las Vegas Lights, we went 35 games and we never got scored on on a corner kick within the 90 minutes because that one goal that we did take gets an asterisk. <laughs> we, were beating, uh, I, I, we were beating New Mexico. Uh, three nothing, and the game was over. It was the 92nd minute, and uh, we had one one kid out with um, the concussion protocol, and I just sent in another sub. So we basically only had nine players on the field, and I and I I I as a coach looked at the scoreboard and said three nothing. So what if we get scored on? Which I will never do again. 
because the game was won. And I sent in a player to fulfill a role that he wasn't prepared to do. So left, a left-footed player on, a, on the right side of the near post. Now you're, you're probably saying, well, so? What does that have to do with anything? Let me explain, and, and I'll, I'll get as detail-oriented as you want, why it is imperative that when you prepare for an in-swinging corner kick like that, that you have the right personnel in the right positions. Now try this as a coach. Just do this with your players. When you're trying to figure out how to defend corner kicks from, or, or set pieces from either side, it changes the positioning of your team. It's not just matchups all the time. If you have corner kicks, you have to do this. Left-footed players head the ball differently than right-footed players. Your positioning on a corner kick that is an in-swinger needs to change. If you go back and look at the tape of where Leggett was and where Zardis was, I cannot understand how it is possible that we could take a goal with those two guys, one, being in a position that they shouldn't have ever been put in, and if you watch their body language and their body positioning prior to the kick, it, it, you knew something bad was going to happen. Throw a ball up in the air to one of your, your defenders or any player, and what you'll see is some players, left-footed or right-footed, will on most occasions have a strong side and a weak side. The way you head the ball, if I'm a right-headed player, usually I will lift and I will hit the ball better off to the left. I just will. It's, sometimes it's a little bit awkward if you're a, a right-footed player and you're trying to head the ball. You just don't have the same body position. You don't lift the same leg. It's, it's just different. Left-footed players clearly will do it the exact opposite, and they will be stronger heading the ball to the right. Left-footed players need to be on the near post, and their positioning needs to be that of two to three steps further towards the goal so that you can attack the ball. The positioning of Zardis and Legette was so diabolical, I can't get over it. Maybe that's because I worked very hard on these things as a, as a coach, and I, and I would, I would say to myself, we're never getting scored on. A, we should never get scored on on a free kick or a corner kick if we do these things. And if you play to the strengths of your players and you put them in positions where they can attack the ball. Because as that ball swung in, you had two guys who were in the wrong position, wrong starting point from the start, thinking that it was their job to head the ball away, but they were moving back towards their own goal. That is a recipe for disaster. The positioning of those players needed to be that of closer to the line with the understanding that when the ball comes into the area which they were standing in, you attack the area. That is your area. You don't just stand there and watch the thing fly over your head. You don't jump and then lean towards your own goal, ever, ever. And you certainly don't put your center forward in that spot. I'm okay with them being on the other side if this was an in-swinger from the right, but we know Godoy. We know, we, we know this team. We know that we should be prepared for that. We have so many resources. We have so many coaches. So many assistants drop the ball on that one because that is how you lose when you're trying to get a result. You don't stay detail-oriented. You get lazy. You just put names on the board and you identify roles and then one of your own guys sticks it in the back of your net. 
And then, of course, you can lay blame. This, that's, one, that's on coaching. That's on coaching. So let's go through it again. See if you can figure this out. Watch the game if you want to do that. And watch as the ball is hit. Watch just before, just prior to the, just look at Sebastian Legette's body language. He is completely turned around. He doesn't even know, he hasn't opened up his body at all for the ability to see if anybody's coming. He hasn't even looked over there. He hasn't even turned his shoulder. He's completely facing the ball. This is the U.S. national team. This is the international soccer game that we're trying to win so we can get to a World Cup, and you guys can't figure out how to defend a corner? That was embarrassing. Anybody with half a brain can see that. Once, you, once you're told what you're supposed to look at, you're like, oh, that's why. If you see that, if I'm a right-footed player, I took a lot of corner kicks in my life, and I see that setup, I tell my guys, I'm going to put it right over that last guy's head in between the goalkeeper and the post. Just get there. And guys like Marcelo Balboa and Alexi Lavas, they understood. They're going to go crash heads with somebody. And maybe it didn't go directly in, but we caused enough havoc that it would, or possibly even an own goal. But that's what you do. On set pieces, when you do an end swinger and you have the wrong personnel who aren't comfortable attacking the ball, you're going to end up having guys backing away from heading the ball and letting it through there. There's so many times where it could possibly go, if it's a right footer, that it would go directly in the goal if those guys aren't in the right spots and aren't comfortable heading the ball away. And you have to really put some thought into that. These are the guys that will best define these roles to make sure that we don't receive an own goal. I know that seems like a lot on a very small detail, but damn, that's, that, that's how you lose games. And that was really bothersome to me. I, I, you know, it's, the game, the game was, was not fun to watch anyway. And the way we played was, was certainly um, not what I think we were trying to do. But in this effort, I think Greg has, has tried very hard to instill confidence in players like Musa, for example. I thought great. Great game for him. Athletic. Uh, guy that can run with those guys. He's strong he, in, in, in Jamaica. But you don't put an 18-year-old in Panama. You just don't. It's not, it's not, regardless of how good you are, you're going to have to need to handle that game. And you certainly don't do it coming off of a, of a very positive result. Could have used some experience in there. Didn't understand the logic behind Weston McKinney not making the trip. Didn't understand it at all. And now there's these, these conversations is surfacing where some of the EPL teams are like, don't take our guys because they're going to have to go through a quarantine on the, on the return, and you know, maybe if it's possible, you could go with somebody else. I'm, I'm hearing those reports, and I'm thinking, That's, you know, this is where you, 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 you have to put your foot down. If you really wanted those guys to be here, they needed to be here. And we've, we've gone through this, uh, this process now where this U.S. national team has, has failed to figure out how to get a goal in the first eight games, or the first or the eight games they've, they just simply 
look like two different teams. It's like it's 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 Jekyll and Hyde, right? It, it, they somebody said that yesterday. It might have been one of the guys in the CBS studio. But it, I think some of the response needs to be. It's not so much it's it's the wrong personality traits. It was just the wrong personnel. We got, the, we got the lineup really wrong yesterday. All right, here's where it stands. Mexico is now sitting at top. They are without a loss. They have three wins at, uh, and two ties. The United States is right on their heels with two wins, two ties, and a loss. The goal difference is now four, and Mexico has now gone up to a goal difference of five. But 11 points, three points ahead of the United States puts them in a very... Very good position going into their next game. The United States has to play against Costa Rica, as we know, who's sitting on now six points. So the complications of this one, now, with, now they've been taken to a whole new level because Panama was able to beat us. Panama is now sitting in third. Two wins, two draws, one tie. Same, same uh, overall record as the United States. And Canada, who just can't figure out how to win a game... They're sitting on seven points, and they're still you know, in striking distance, but the United States needs to get the business done at home against Costa Rica, which has usually been a favorable result for us. I mean, going, I, mean I go way back to, you know, all the way to Portland in 1998. Tab Ramos saved us with a great strike. That crazy game in Colorado. Going to Saprissa in the old days, that, that was never a fun trip. That was never fun. And we all know what happened to Klinsman when he underestimated Costa Rica. But Campbell did have a good day. But the reality of this scenario now, 11, 8, 8, 7, 6, 5. Honduras, it might be over. It might be over. That's a tough one. I, I thought Honduras and Jamaica were going to be much more troublesome than they, they've proven to be. Honduras without a win, 0-3-2. and two. I mean, coming off of Mexico, I mean, that's an understandable loss. But they've only managed to score twice. And Jamaica's only managed to score twice, and they have a record that's a little bit worse than zero wins, two draws, and three losses. So Jamaica and Honduras are essentially completely out of this thing. And El Salvador now has an opportunity to really jump back in this thing. So, I mean, we had, we had talked about that before. Do we really think that El Salvador has, the, has what it takes to, to be in a, in a World Cup or to qualify? Probably not, but do, do they have the ability to be a Big thorn in everybody's side, absolutely. Hugo Perez has his team believing. And it's uh, that's interesting. Now, here's the other part of this, which I don't know how much it factored in, but there has been numerous reports that Ricardo Pepe has, is receiving a, a lot of attention right now after his two-goal performance against Jamaica. And, you know, with the January window coming uh, around the corner, the Italians ha have expressed an interest. Uh, he is, of course, a, a non-European uh, passport player. But if the Syria is coming after you, uh, th this, this could get interesting in, in a hurry. You know, there was, there's been players that have moved um, very recently, not getting a whole lot of time uh, to Syria, but they, they'll go for six, seven, eight million. So that number will, will probably should get a, a, at least over 10 million. It should. And we remember, you know, a couple weeks ago, Ajax was the first one to jump on that. That's not a bad thing when Ajax comes knocking. This is going to be interesting. This will be something that uh, we have to pay attention to.
you know, there's been several German clubs that, that have expressed an interest. And of course, at some point, Bayern Munich will just have a mention. <laughs> they already have a relationship with some of the homegrown players that have come out of the United States and, I should say, FC Dallas. So let's see, let's see how that one all plays out. Some of the other qualification process. France, uh, with, with their wonderful comeback the other day against Belgium, and then, then they were able to defeat Spain. The Nations League. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know why we're complicating things as much as we are. Aren't we right in the middle of World Cup qualification? I mean, what what are we doing? I know that we did we did our version of that, but it's it's, it's only complicated things. And as the World Cup conversation of is it going to be every two years continues to uh, to happen, things could just get more and more confusing. All right, so let's let's take a jump forward here, and we're looking into this game against Costa Rica. It's a team that's, that's aging, if you will. I mean, I've made, a lot of people would say that you know, most of their, this team is, is past their, their best days. They've, they've made a couple managerial changes. They've, they haven't really changed their, their style of play. We know exactly what to expect, but what kind of energy are we going to bring? And who do we play? Is Weston McKinney going to get back in the team? Is Pepe going to start? I'm assuming yes. But it really is going to come down to, in the selection process, that it's about consistency more than anything else. Consistency and form. We don't know. They, they're very cagey about these kind of things. When somebody does pick up a small injury, you never really know entirely what's going on unless somebody does some really strong investigative reporting. And it's usually one of those things. Well, why is he walking off the... Uh, we used to do this. Well, why is he walking to the bus with an ice bag? We used to do this uh, on purpose. We would say, everybody put an ice bag on, so they'll, they'll, they'll just think we're all recovering. If somebody was hurt, because we didn't want them to know. It's actually kind of smart. Either they thought we were all hurt, or they, they just couldn't figure it out. But when we get into this selection process, it has never been more vital for us to get it right from the start. I can't even remember the last time we scored in the first half. It might have been that first-minute goal. And then we didn't score the rest of the game. But this is, this, is, this is push time for Greg. This really, really is. Uh, and, and coming out of this, this without a, a victory, uh, four points out of three games on the heels of five, and we were talking ourselves into making sense of it. Got to get the, 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 the starting lineup right. The adjustments when necessary. The relationships and all behind-the-scenes stuff and why Matthew Hoppe didn't play. We don't really have answers to that. And even if you do ask uh, in these kind of scenarios, this is where coaches scale back. This is where they, they don't relinquish information. When things are going well. They, they're, they're pretty transparent about that kind of stuff. But when... Result, when the result goes poorly, right? And then you have this inability to really even know yourself the way this is going to have to go. That's what scares me. That the reality of, of are we going to stick to a plan that's not working? Or are we going to really be able to get in a room as coaches and figure out, one, where are they vulnerable? And two, who, who, who are our guys that are ready to go right now? The biggest criticism I think anybody has had of Greg Berhalter, and this goes all the way back to his stint in Sweden, is that he just, his teams don't score a lot of goals. And that's a little bit because it's too pragmatic. I, I, 
I, I, I'll actually offer this. I had to do in my Pro-A licensing um, an analysis of how we played against the Mexican national team, that 1-0 loss. I think it, was, I think it may have been in, uh, where the final was? It, it may have been Atlanta. I can't remember. I should, I should remember. I can't. But I had to analyze that game. Tim Ream actually played left back. Michael Bradley was in the center of the park. And there were some, some couple of chances for Josie Altador the first part of the game when we went long, and we, we really challenged their back line with his strength. It wasn't, it wasn't this, you know, this very methodical and pragmatic approach to getting the ball wide and then, nope, it's not on, let's go back, let's keep it, let's keep the possession. And you could see as the game was, was unfolding that we were becoming more and more reluctant to take risk. And that was in my report. Believe it or not, you have to do these kind of things. It was like a 40-page report on, on why we didn't beat them with a bunch of clips and a bunch of stuff, and that's just coaching. But the, all of that analysis and all of that data and the, and the statistics and all of that stuff really are secondary to the attitude that you bring to the table and how you address the game. And in that specific game, I, I can tell you without hesitation, there has to be a mindset and a mentality when you play against Mexico, specifically. And if you play re reluctant to take risk and you don't put numbers forward, you don't put them under pressure, they become increasingly more confident. And they start to really dictate the game and the rhythm of the game and the tempo of the game. And I think in that particular game, Tata did a very good job of recognizing Reem as the, the, the weaker side and the fact that he was not going forward, never really taking the space when it was given to him. And eventually we conceded a goal. I think DeSantos got in at the end um, on a fairly good combination play on our left side, had ventured into the you know, near post and pretty good goal. When our team plays on, against Costa Rica, when we get the, if, if, if we get the starting lineup right, we need to be not over-the-top Jamaica aggressive, like <laughs> risking you know, red cards in the first minute, but we certainly need to be a different look. And if Greg Berhalter cannot realize that, that he needs to come out of those gates flying, even if it's for five minutes, show us that we are trying to put our foot on the pedal. Show us that. But if you come out and you let them have the ball and it's a high, you know, a, a much, you know, backed up line of contention and we're letting them, you know, just basically dictate the pace of the game, we should boo. We should boo that. I've been in those locker rooms. I've, I've, I've been in games like that. But, and, and the one thing that we cannot do is allow Costa Rica to have any kind of confidence whatsoever. They've played five games. They've only managed to score three times. Let them play defense, but start coming up with some ways that we can get the ball wide and overload their back line. Make that line move. Commit numbers forward. Push them back. Don't always just, well, I, may, I think those four can figure it out. No, we need to send six, seven guys. 
the one time that our U.S. team really looked apart was the second half against Honduras. And it's because we were desperate. We were absolutely desperate. We threw caution to the wind, and we played with aggression. And it, and it worked. How we didn't really move from that and say, why do we have to wait until we have to chase games before we start playing? No. Let's get these games in the rearview mirror. Let's, be, let, let's, let's dictate the pace of the game ourselves in the 70th minute, 80th minute. There was the first time, I think, Jamaica, where, where Greg really felt like, I can make some subs here. But I thought that those subs and the reasoning behind those subs was to save those guys to make sure that they can perform against Panama, and that didn't happen. I'm sure some of you have read some of the comments from Greg Berhalter about if we go into this next game against Panama, we'll get our asses kicked. It's essentially what just happened. We went in there with the wrong attitude. We have an unbelievable opportunity to, to, to rebound and to get a result against Costa Rica, but this thing is going to be off the hook, and it's only in two days, two days' time. I'm not happy with Paramount Plus, by the way. Not happy with that. Why in the hell can't we have something that's a little bit easier to find than Paramount Plus? Man, I, I, yesterday I was trying to hook up, to, you know, trying to get the link so you could get it. It was, it was a fiasco. This is, a, this is an important game. Maybe it's a good thing that we played that poorly and no one saw it. That's good. Maybe. I know the guys at halftime or at least at the end of the game. Uh, Guccianewa and, of course, uh, uh, Clint Dempsey having their little spat. Gucci was speechless in parentheses, and, and Clint had, a, had some stuff to say. Rightly so, rightly so. And I think, I, I think his point's valid. You got to bring the right attitude. But that is it for this one. It, it, I want, hit me on Twitter, uh, at Eric Winalda, if, uh, if you have any issues with any coaches out there, if you want me to further elaborate on those corner kicks. Happy to do so. I just hope that our national team, with all the resources that we have, can figure out how to defend a corner kick. That would be really nice. That would be actually fantastic. I did want to talk uh, a little bit about uh, Newcastle. Uh, Steve Bruce looks like he's going to lose his job. And uh, Amanda Staveley is, is, is going to be uh, the ax man. It looks, it, it, from, from what I understand, from what we're all hearing, uh, they're going to have some meetings this week, and he might not survive uh, till the end. So... Newcastle is already making moves to, to be one of the, uh, the big players uh, in the EPL. We talked about it on the last podcast. They, they now have their consortium and their group, um, which is worth $250 billion, which dwarfs the $22 billion that uh, Man City, who's already in enough trouble for their inability to stick to the uh, fair play rules. Let's see if Newcastle plays fair. Uh, and at some point, I, I did mention before, I will get my buddy uh, Warren Barton on. He'll, he'll, be, he'll be just like sitting there like a, as happy as can be because he loves to see this. Newcastle really pushing the, pushing the meter and, and becoming a, a big player in the EPL. Either way, that is it for today. I will be back with you in a couple of days. Hopefully, we'll be discussing the fact that the United States national team has 11 points, not sitting on eight. And somehow, we can put Panama Canada and Costa Rica in our rearview mirror. But that is it for today. Thank you for coming along for the ride. As I always say, stay, stay positive out there. Be good people. Be good human beings. Take care of each other. Love each other. And we'll hear you next time. Thanks.